0: Let's talk sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. This podcast is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team sales? Have you tried sales training in the past, but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. So as all of our listeners know, our theme for the month of July is adapting to shifting markets. And here on the podcast, we've been talking to a lot of our guests about it. So you might want to listen back to some of those episodes if you've missed them. You can also check out the blog for more best practices, information, and advice for you and your team, which you can find at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and we have a returning Let's Talk Sales guest. Um, He is the account director at Relationship One and hosts a couple of different podcasts, including sales success stories and daily sales tips. So obviously, um, a lot of overlap between his themes and ours. He has an event coming up in October called the Sales Success Summit. We'll spend a few minutes talking about that. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for coming back. Scott Ingram.
1: Thanks for having me. Glad to be back.
0: All right, so I just shared some highlights of your bio, but can you introduce yourself again, um, kind of in your own words, to our listeners? Talk us maybe a little bit about where your passion for business began. What were some key stops on your journey? Whatever you'd like to share.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll, I'll try not to, to retread too much uh, from the the first conversation for folks that have already listened to that. But you know, my passion for business started super early. Um, I actually had a, a paper route as as a, a young boy on a on a bike up a hill, and then started my <laughs> first company when I was 20 years old, and that was an IT consulting company in Orange County, California, and for. Breaking Bad fans, I was surprised years later um, because the name of that company was Grey Matter Technology. So if you've seen Breaking Bad, uh, you'll <laughs> understand why that might have been shocking uh, to me because that was the name of the, the fictitious company in, in that book or in that uh, in that TV series. And then about 15 years ago, we moved here to Austin uh, where where I've been raising a family and having a lot of fun ever since. And that's really where I, I got into a more traditional uh, kind of sales professional sales type type roles right I, I realized you know the entrepreneur, entrepreneurial thing is fun and interesting but there's a lot of hats and a lot of parts of that that I didn't enjoy uh, and I really loved the sales piece so that started very traditionally in a major accounts role with ADP and then for about the last 10 years uh, I have been in essentially marketing technology uh, types of sales predominantly working with large enterprise uh, accounts so that's that's what's happening on that front and then I I know we'll talk a little bit here, but uh, as, as just sort of a, a passion project for the last number of years, I founded Sales Success Media and host the, the podcasts and the summit and all of those fun things, which has been uh, a, an amazing experience. I have learned so much from, from all of that, uh, all of those conversations and all of those people that I've been able to surround myself with.
0: Definitely. I find that um, I never really learn more than when I'm just talking to other people frequently and reading more books and just engaging with different concepts. And so I've personally found that hosting this podcast has helped kind of broaden um, the different things that I'm thinking about. And I'm sure with the type of podcast you have, which we'll be talking about in a few minutes, um, that's especially helpful for you. But I want to start with our topic, which is, um, as we talked about in the intro, we're talking about adjusting to shifting markets. What does that mean to you, especially in your role as um, both a top salesperson yourself and you talk to a lot yeah, of other you know, top salespeople? The,
1: the shifting is uh, accelerating, right? There, Nothing holds still in anymore. And the, the way that I respond to it and the way that I think about that is you really have to be a student of sales. And, and that was a big part of the driver of why I started these things and why I intentionally have a, a lot of these conversations. And I just, again, I, I think the, the world is changing quickly and you have to... You frequently pick up your head and, and see how things are changing and, and ensure that you continue to be on the right course. And in fact, I was thinking about this this morning. I went for a swim in Barton Springs. As I'm I'm training for a triathlon later this summer, and for Barton Springs is this amazing mm-hmm. thing that we have in Austin. It's right by downtown. It is this natural spring-fed pool, and it's a it's a little bit more than an eighth of a mile long. So you can you your lap length is is literally an eighth of a mile. But I am a horrible open water swimmer. And so, I'm constantly having to look forward and look ahead and make sure that I'm, I'm moving in the right direction and that I stop drifting to the right. Uh, otherwise, I just sort of zigzag down the pool. And I think that's really the approach, right? It's in business and in sales, how do we look forward? How do we make sure that we're staying t- on top of where our market is going, where uh, sales as a practice is going, and just the the business in general is, is headed. And you just have to really make it a priority and make sure that you're learning in in whatever ways. I mean, you mentioned a bunch of great ones, right? You, we can be listening to podcasts. We can be reading books. We can be going to conferences. We can be, you know, having, I think for me, it's conversations are are at the core of that, right? The more you're able to Talk to folks and learn from what they're doing, what they're seeing, how they're adapting, what's working, what's not working. That's that's where the gold is.
0: Definitely. I love that analogy. And you can take it a little <laughs> bit further about, you know, sinking and swimming. Um, I won't necessarily go that far. But it is so incredibly important. And as you said, um, I'm going to kind of just draw this out a little bit more. If you're consistently looking ahead, and if you think about it, when you're swimming, you have to lift your head up to look ahead. So you're you're pausing a little bit. You're, you're taking a little bit of a break. You're not just driving in one direction. You're going to help yourself not zig zag off the path that you should be on. Sometimes in sales and in leadership, as you're adapting to shifting markets, sometimes you will make the wrong choices. But if you have that consistent practice of stepping back a little bit, looking up, thinking about it, trying to figure out where you want to go, you're a little less likely to find yourself looking back and realizing, oh my goodness, we got off track quite a long time ago. And I'm not entirely yeah, sure what it's going to take and I love to get us that back you, you talked
1: about, I, I often think about this idea of being persistent and consistent, right? Because one stroke in the water does virtually nothing, especially for me, because I'm, I'm really, I'm a horrible swimmer. <laughs> one stroke is One stroke is nothing, right? It it, it makes almost no impact, especially as you're thinking about, I've got to cover half a mile or I need to cover 600 yards or, or whatever it is, but it's just that stroke 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 right it's it's continuing to do it continuing to repeat the pattern but then just maintaining that bigger picture perspective and and vigilance to ensure that am, am i taking these strokes in the right direction or am i going to go crashing into the wall or, or in the case of barton springs it's even a little crazier than that there's no lane lines or anything else and there's people i've, I've had some head-on collisions if i'm not paying quite, quite enough uh, attention. Right. So again, I I think (laughs) as you, as you look at the whole landscape of your marketplace and the space that you're in, I think part of that is also just being aware of, you know, what are your competitors doing, but probably more importantly, what is the world of your clients, right? What, what are the real challenges that, that they're facing? And, and does your mm-hmm. solution still directly solve those, those challenges? And I, I think you know a lot of people in sales don't recognize the opportunity that we have is that we're the front line. We're the ones that are probably having more conversations than anybody else. And we need to be bringing those back into the organization and letting the product team know what we're hearing and letting the marketing team know what we're hearing so that we can help them uh, adjust and stay on course as well.
0: Definitely. And I think that's something that as um, leaders really need to take um, ownership of and recognize that your salespeople are a field research team and they're out there probably interacting with more people in your space than anybody else in the company, unless you have like a significant delivery organization. But still, they're interacting with the decision makers. They're hearing about the trends. They're hearing people's questions. They're hearing people's concerns and objections. And if there isn't a way for that information to trickle up to leadership, to really funnel to the people who are making strategic business decisions, you might have salespeople out there knowing, for example, that clients are asking for a feature that you don't have. And over and over again, clients are saying, I want this feature, or even I need this fe- feature. It's a deal breaker if I don't have this feature. And if that information doesn't get back to the product development team, who might be able to add that feature, you're losing out on a lot of potential business. And so salespeople um, need to be leveraged by the organization to get all that critical information back to whoever needs it to make decisions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a two-way street, right? It's it's regardless of the team that you're on, you know, reaching out and asking for that information, but also if you're wearing the sales hat, volunteering that information. I mean, I just had this experience in the last oh, you know, week or so where I was giving some thought to our own business and in, in my day job, right, which is a professional services company in the in the marketing technology space. And I went, wait a minute, you know what? The place that we're having the most success. And the biggest impact, and and. I, I, f- for- Frankly, feeling the most fulfilled is when we're doing these big transformational projects. And and so I had a great conversation with my VP of sales and said, "Hey, look, here's what I'm seeing. Right this this is the results that we're driving. Here's the impact. Here's the size of these deals, and they're significantly larger than than our smaller deals. And I was like, you know what? I, I think we're getting two in the weeds and and generating these giant lists of here's all the different things that we can do, and here's all the, mm-hmm. the- strategic projects we can run and all the different integrations. So I was like, you know what? If we take this up a level and we start having these more transformational type of conversations, one, it really starts to open doors with the CMOs within these these large enterprise organizations. Right? We're able to get higher in the organization and do more impactful things where we've got true executive sponsorship rather than oh, here's just a little piecemeal project, right? Which which is it's they're very inefficient right we we do this little project there's it's not not the same amount of sales effort but it, in comparison if you look at the ratio of time spent mm-hmm. to dollars generated it's not nearly as strong as it is on these larger projects right so how do we now as an organization collaborate around this uh, this idea right how does the service team sort of inform that and how do we have better discovery conversations around these that lead our clients down these types of paths.
0: Definitely. Um, I have to say, sometimes it is actually just as much or more difficult to sell those little individual projects as a big one because you're still... If if you're selling at a lower level, they have less budget authority. And so they're having to jump through a few more hoops. Um, And so I completely agree. You know, constantly looking for things like that, being able to take the time to really take a step back and think hey, we're selling, you know, six different little components that all fit together into a program. Can we bundle them as a program? Can we sell it as a program? And then, first of all, we're probably going to be more efficient and more effective in delivering the services. Um, We're getting to a different level within organizations. We can be more consultative, a better partner, um, and uh, make everything easier for, for everyone,
1: really. Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that. I'm today working on an opportunity actually with one of these transformational clients. So most of the agreements that I've worked on recently have been with that executive and her team of, of VPs. And the deals go very fast and they're really easy, right? Because we've done this before. They have all the authority. It's simple. I'm working on this one-off deal in another part of the organization that's probably three levels lower it's harder. Mm-hmm. I, You know, really they've got to do all these extra approvals and we're spending so much more time on the scope. It's like, oh, my gosh, guys, this is like 5% of what we typically typically do together. So, again, I, I think it's having that, that bigger perspective, that broader view and being able to elevate the conversations and, and engage at the executive level.
0: Definitely. So, um, if we kind of tie this back to the theme you mentioned earlier, you know, you should be a student of sales, um, externally and just looking to improve yourself and learn constantly, but also a student of your organization of, of the processes that you have and trying to figure out other ways we could be more efficient, more effective, um, make things just, um, you know, work better for everybody. Maybe even penetrate new markets and new um, types of prospects that we've never worked with before, and um, that all takes just that that student approach, constantly learning and discovering.
1: Yeah, that's that, that's it. You know, it, it's it's um, again, it's just something that you have to do consciously. It's a decision that you make and decide, you know what, I am going to be on top of this. I'm going to invest a little bit of time every day or every week or, or whenever it fits into your schedule uh, to make sure that you are taking that look ahead.
0: Yeah, and it's so easy not to. And that's something we have to remember. Probably, people who are taking the time to listen to a podcast like this um, don't have to worry about that so much. Um, but there, it, it's easy because we have constant pressures to be doing things. And every email that comes in is an invitation to respond to it and probably take some sort of action. And um, especially in sales, when you have a very strange and unusual for other positions, combination of reactive and proactive work that you're doing. It's really easy to just literally handle the things that need to get handled and not ever take that time to step back and really think about um, what's working, what's not working, what could be improved, what opportunities might exist that that weren't available before. And so, taking that time to do that, um, it's that whole sharpening the saw (laughs) analogy, Um, but it's really important. And there are some people, and, and it's easy to understand why they do this, who just put their heads down and do the job and don't really think about the what and the why, um, that they could be really making improvements. Yeah.
1: You know, my, my VP of services has this great comment, right? When you think about the idea of being heads down and plowing forward, she says, you can't look down and look up at the same time. So, just mm-hmm. recognizing that there are two different things, right? And and again, let's go back to that swimming analogy. I pick my head up out of the water, I look forward, and then I put my head back down and I plow, right? And then it's it's just an iterative process, right? Look up, look down, look up, look down, and just making sure that you're you're essentially building that into your process and making sure that you're you're not just heads down all the time, uh, and and going potentially in the wrong direction.
0: Yeah, or heads up all the time, kind of too much time thinking, planning, um, trying to look around and figure things out and not ever getting anything done. So I'm glad you went swimming because that was a really perfect (laughs) analogy. And good luck in your triathlon. I am um, a bad runner, a decent cyclist, and a terrible swimmer. And so, I am not a triathlete at all.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I resemble most of that, but you know what? It's I'm, I'm not going to win. It's it's more just it's it's really about the journey. It's not even so much about the race. It's just I, I needed to mix up what I was doing from a training perspective, and this was a great great way to do it. And again, it's it's having something that you're sort of striving towards.
0: Definitely. Charles, our CEO, did a triathlon a few years ago. Um, I think the closest I got was one time I biked from my apartment 25 miles to Rockaway Beach, and I was very proud of myself. Um, But that is about the extent. And then I took my bike on the subway to get home because I was really, really (laughs) tired. (laughs) All right. So um, as I mentioned in the intro, and we did talk about this in the last episode um, when you were speaking to Rebecca, but I think our listeners would like to hear about it. Um, You are the host of a couple of popular podcasts that our listeners um, would probably enjoy if they're not already listening. Um, I know you talked a lot about one in your last conversation, but you've got a new one called Daily Sales Tips. So can you talk a little bit about your podcasts?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and Daily Sales Tips is really new since that last conversation. I, I launched that show in January of, of this year and we're recording this in, in twenty nineteen. You know, the the two best things about the Sales Success Stories podcast, I realize, were also the two worst things about it. So one is, my criteria is super crazy strict. I only interview quota-carrying individual contributors who are either number one, or I'm willing to settle for somebody who's in the top 1%. So if they're number two of 500, that's, <laughs> close, that's close enough, right? And um, so, so that's one, right? So if somebody has what's going to be be the the greatest new sales book this year and, and they're willing to come talk to me on that podcast. I won't let them. The other issue is those interviews are really long. My, my average interview is somewhere in the neighborhood of 75 or 80 minutes. It's not uncommon for me to go over 90 minutes in, in a conversation. And that can be really intimidating for folks, right? Especially if you don't know what you're getting into. I, I think that kind of put people off. So I basically created the exact opposite in daily sales tips early this year. So I will allow pretty much anybody uh, to share an idea or share a tactic or a strategy or a tip uh, on that show. And our average episode is less than five minutes. My, my initial vision was five to 10 minutes per episode and never more than an hour in a week. So that you could sort of binge through everything in less than an hour each week. Um, we've actually managed an average that's less than five minutes. So it's very short, it's very quick, it's very tangible ideas. And I'm having, I'm having so much fun with both of those sales success stories continues. I I get to have these really deep dive conversations, but daily sales tips, again, is kind of that, that daily practice and that persistence and just giving some thought each day, even if it's just a couple of minutes about, is there something I could do better? Or is there somebody out there that has an idea that I can incorporate into my process or into my approach that can help me improve?
0: I I love the, the balance between the two. And that's so important. And I think um, as our listeners are probably thinking about, there are times when all you need is that quick hit and all you even have time for is that quick hit. And then there are times where you really want to sit back and reflect. Um, and maybe you're just in a position logistically where you can listen to a longer show. Maybe you're um, driving or commuting or something else where you, you actually have the time to focus on a long form interview. So um, it's a really good balance. And I can say I've listened to both types of your episodes. And I can, dec- as a big podcast fan myself, I can definitely recommend them to our listeners. So make sure to subscribe to Sales Success Stories and Daily Sales Thanks Tips. Thanks for that. All right. So um, another thing that you. Um, that I mentioned in the intro is the Sales Success Summit that you're producing in October. Can you talk to our listeners for a bit yeah, about I'd, that? Yeah,
1: I'd be glad to. So this is the, the second time we're doing this event. I did the first one uh, in May of 2018. And really what I did, I, I realized that you know the Sales Success Stories podcast, and, and I said this from the beginning, it's, it's actually a very selfish uh, podcast, right? It, it allows me the opportunity to have these incredible conversations and build these incredible relationships with some of the best salespeople in the world. And I really wanted to, I wanted to share that. I I wanted to allow other people uh, in, in my audience to engage with these top professionals. And the other thing that's really amazing is allowing them to engage with each other. And see what comes of those conversations. So this is a a two-day conference that will be happening Mm -hmm. here in Austin, October 14th and 15th. It is 100% uh, uh, practitioner-led and and presented. So all of the presenters on stage are those top 1% sellers who have been on the podcast, which means they don't really have any kind of vested interest. They're not trying to sell something. Right. They're they're just sharing their best ideas. And what's interesting, I I found I didn't really expect this from the the first uh, summit. You would think that there would be just these massive egos on display and, you know, everybody would be puffing up their chests and talking about how great they are. The exact opposite happened. Everybody was so humbled in realizing that, you know what? I, I'm the best person in my company. I'm not sure that I'm the best person here. And everybody kind of took that back seat and, mm-hmm. and took the opportunity to go, you know what? This is an incredible opportunity for me to learn. And at every at every stage, right? The best of the best, we're taking that type of an approach. And the way that I build the conference is also, I, I've, I've been in and around the event space a lot in my life and been to so many events. And there's a lot of things that drive me crazy about events. And I've tried to solve for a lot of those issues. First of all, I don't like hotel conference rooms. I've been in about 18 too many of those in my life. So we actually host the event in a movie theater. And it's one of those full-service movie theaters for those who are familiar with the Alamo Drafthouse chain. You know, you've got a comfortable seat. Mm -hmm. You've got a full menu at your table and people who will bring you whatever you want to eat and drink throughout the entire day. And then I also, I, I think one of the other challenges you find in events is the content is just crammed so full it's wall to wall you're you're rushing from thing to thing there's no opportunity to have other conversations but if you look at why we go to events, I think there's two big reasons. Certainly we go for the content, but probably more so we go for the connections. I want to go there and meet other people and build other relationships. So the way that I build the entire agenda is in two hour blocks. And since I don't have to have meal breaks because you will be brought food right to your seat, Every, I do 90 minutes of content, and then there's a 30 minute networking break. So over the course of the day, you get an hour and a half, two hours, to really process and digest and have conversations with these other folks. And then of course, we're, we're gonna bus everybody down to the Salt Lake uh, barbecue down down here in Austin, and we're gonna have this great after party, um, <laughs> likely at a home that used to be owned by Sandra Bullock here in town. So it's, for me, it's all about that experience. And it's also, also very intimate. I will have less than 200 people People in attendance on purpose, right? I don't need a giant event. We need an intimate event of of the right people that are really driven to improve themselves and improve their teams and and do amazing things.
0: All right, I have two things I have to say one of them kind of deep and one kind of shallow. I'm going to start with the shallow. (laughs) Hotel conference rooms. Where do they get that carpet? And how talented <laughs> do the salespeople have to be to sell hideous carpet to every hotel chain in this country and the rest of the world? It's weird, right? Am I, am I the only one that thinks this? That it's, it's strange, ugly carpet with really big patterns. And everywhere you go, that's what they have. And like, there are people selling it and people making it. And I really don't want to disparage them, but it's it's confusing to me. Highly confusing.
1: Yeah. You sell that carpet? <laughs> will you please reach out to us? We have so many questions.
0: <laughs> Definitely. All right, and then the, the slightly deeper um, comment: uh, the format of this event, where you're giving people a chance to take breaks, both for networking and also for reflection, that's so incredibly important. Like you said, you know, people are coming for content, but you can find that content other places. They could listen to these same people talk on your podcast while they're sitting, you know, while they're at the gym or they're they're walking down the street they could listen, you know, they could read books, they could look at TED talks. And so they're going for that connection and that ability to interact with people. And so having solid blocks of time for that is critically important. But then, um, also being able to think, you know, what are the insights that I had from that last 90 minute session I just attended, um, to be able to kind of look through any notes you might've taken and process them a little bit. It's a, it's a really intelligent, um, format in terms of timing. And um, definitely something that I think a lot of conferences could learn from.
1: Yeah, thanks. We're having a lot of fun with it. It's going to be great.
0: Good stuff. All right. Um, Speaking of learning, as we were talking about a little bit earlier in the show, something I've been asking people lately, because I'm I'm getting really great feedback um, from this question, is what's something that you've learned in the last few years that has changed how you think about business?
1: you know this this is probably going to shock people given that i've i've basically spent my entire career working in technology but i'm starting to think that the proliferation of technology is starting to hurt us more than it's helping us and and mm-hmm. what i mean by that is y- we spend so much time just trying to manage the technology and oftentimes it doesn't talk to each other. I mean, it's something that we we certainly work with our clients on as as we're helping them with their marketing tech stacks. But as I think about the conversations that I've had with some of these top performers, I always ask about kind of the tools and apps and the things that they can't live without. And I'm really surprised by how... Maybe this is the wrong word, but unsophisticated it, it is, right? It, the most common uh-huh. answer I get is, "Well, let's see. I use LinkedIn, my calendar, email, and a notebook." And <laughs> you know, something that that also struck me r- recently because I again I was having one of these conversations with a woman who has been the number one performer in her organization for the last 17 years in a row. And wow. she's like, oh, I'm so old school, right? I, I always take notebooks in, into my meetings and I, I take all of my notes by hand. I don't use any of this technology. And right after she shared that, and now I'm forgetting the the source, there's there's a tip on Daily Sales Tips somewhere <laughs> where, where I talked about I'll this but specifically. But it, it's this idea, they did some, uh, there's a couple of research studies that basically showed that the retention of handwritten notes is something like two times better of of electronic notes, even though you can capture so much more electronically. There's just something about our brains and the way that processing works. And so I've been thinking about, you know, how do you simplify some of this stuff? And I've actually started playing some games with myself in the, um, I can't think what the now I'm going to have to look it up and, and mess up my, uh, my my stats here that I'm just about to to mention, um, but it's the it's the screen time app in iPhone that'll show you oh, yeah. how many times have you picked That's up. That's depressing. Card, right? How how much time are you spending on this? I'm I'm trying to reverse gamify that and see how low I can get that number? How few times can I pick up my phone? Because I, I just, again, I find that all of these things lead to so much distraction and pull us away from the focus and the deep work and the and the real thinking that is going to allow us to have a, 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 such a larger impact.
0: Definitely. I, I couldn't agree more, you know, um, and I'm somebody that's kind of addicted to technology. So, I I can speak to this um, from personal experience If realizing that I'm spending too much time with things but you're even seeing some of the people who are involved in founding some of the biggest tech companies in the country and in the world you know some of the early employees at Google and at Facebook um, and and various other companies coming out and saying I'm concerned about technology I'm concerned that we can develop things that are addictive for people and we're not we're kind of doing it on purpose, but not for some bad reasons. But you know, it's it's causing bad impacts. You have people who who are involved in technology themselves who don't let their kids have screen time <laughs> because they recognize what it's doing to our brains. And so um I, I look at that screen time report. I think it comes out for me every Sunday and always get a little bit depressed. I'm like you, I'm trying to get that number down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's hard.
0: It really, really is. And notifications don't help. I, um, I tracked, you can see what is sending you the most notifications. And I think I subscribe to too many newspapers and I need to see if I can maybe reduce notifications without completely getting rid. Because you don't want to not know what's happening in the world. But I don't know that I need 172 notifications from one major newspaper, <clears throat> New York Times, um, in one week. That seems a it much. Um, But I want to take this back to sales because it's so important. And I love the four things that you mentioned, LinkedIn, calendar, email, and a notebook. Because a lot of times we see, especially that um, leaders, sales managers are always looking for the next big thing and always thinking the reason that my sales aren't growing is because I don't have the right technology platform. I don't have the latest thing to manage leads. I don't have the latest system to make it easier for my salespeople to get their notes into the CRM system. I don't have the latest artificial intelligence chat bot to put on our website to get customers engaged. And managers are thinking, you know, it's, I've got the silver bullet that I'm just waiting for. And it, that's generally not it. You know, you can grow sales within your team with whatever systems you have, maybe even with taking some away. And so really getting back to those basics is so incredibly important.
1: A hundred percent, a hundred and ten percent. Again, I, I've interviewed seventy or more of the top salespeople in the world, and there's no magic bullet, right? If 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 there were, I would have found it by now. It's it really comes back to very fa- basic core fundamental things. I mean, one of the most frequently mentioned books uh, on on my podcast is Dale Carnegie's "How to Win Friends and Influence mm-hmm. People." You know, it's it's some of that timeless foundational relationship based things that really drive all of this and and i, I think the other risk all the technology is it tends to drive a wedge between the humans and and at the end of the day that's what this is sales is a very very human sport
0: definitely and when it comes especially to the idea of sales people i'm going to emphasize that word there people there are a lot of spaces where you used to have a salesperson where you don't need or want or probably have a salesperson anymore. And there are sales jobs that are disappearing because it's easier for people to just be able to buy those things themselves. Um, sometimes that's depressing when we look at the world and we see, you know, bookstores are closing and you don't have maybe that friendly person that would that would help you find a book and that would maybe recommend a book to you because we all buy our books online. And so, you know, we're, we're causing that to happen. But um, a lot of times we actually benefit, We value this, right? We, we want to be able to buy something without having to jump through all kinds of hoops and talk to a salesperson. And we've already done the research and we know what we want. So if you're in a space where there are still salespeople, your goal as a salesperson is to add value, and the best way that you can do that is through personal connections and being able to give people information that they would not find through their own research and to be able to help them discover problems they didn't know they had or solutions that they aren't looking for for problems they do know they have. And that's where um, if you really are focusing on you know, just the basics of just connecting with people and, and being um, a, you know, a good problem solver for them, you're going to see success.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I just I found it just in time. It's funny. I'm, I'm working on uh, another webinar that I'm getting ready to present. It was really thinking about sort sort of this thing, and I, I hope that this fits in context. But I, I wrote, "Be real. If you don't want to be replaced by a sales robot, then whatever you do, don't sound like a sales robot. Leverage your humanity, <laughs> right? And, and I think again, there are parts of the process where it. You're right. It doesn't need a human anymore. So what are the most Human parts, where you can leverage who you are and and just the uniqueness of your you're a person and 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 an individual and apply those to the to the sales process. I mean, it's it's one of the themes that I have seen most broadly is that the best performers in the world are sort of the most extreme and best versions of themselves, right? They're, they're not running some out-of-the-box script or some out-of-the-box program, right? They've, they've studied it. They've been a student of it, and they've looked at many, many different programs and ideas, and they've incorporated them into their style and their personality and who they are, and that's why they win.
0: Absolutely. I am totally going to steal that quote. If that's okay with you, I will attribute you it to you. But if you don't want to be replaced by a sales robot, don't act like a sales robot. Love that.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: All right. Well, you mentioned a couple of seconds ago, the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. That is um, a classic, definitely something if you haven't read, um, maybe pause the podcast for a second and go buy it, maybe at a real bookstore um, and and get to reading. But what are some of your other um, favorite sales and business growth books?
1: You know, there's there so many, and, and I consume at a pace of probably a book or, or two a month. So I'll call out, rather than going back to, in, in the previous conversation, I talked about extreme ownership, which is still one of my probably biggest, most impactful favorites of the last number of years. I'll talk about one th- that, I, that I listened to a little bit more frequently or, or recently, and that is Never Split the Difference. And mm-hmm. I've been hearing about this book for a while, um, and I'm not sure why. I, I had avoided it, but but finally a, a good friend called up and was like, "Hey, this you got to check this out." So I, I went and listened to it. And if you're not familiar, it's written by uh, an FBI hostage negotiator, uh-huh. and, and he makes this great. He has this great line about where this idea of never split the difference came from, because he's like, "If if you have eight hostages, you don't like, well, go ahead and take out four of them and give four of them back, and we'll call it good." Like that's not <laughs> an okay outcome, <laughs> right? And but what what really struck me from that book is there was so many great ideas about listening and questions. And I'm actually, I haven't done this yet. I'm going to listen to it again and think about it with the mindset of how can I use some of these strategies and techniques in my discovery calls? There was so much just good because it's it's really about getting to the heart of What does the other person want? What is really driving them that's going to help you figure out the negotiation, not trying to force what you want on them and trying to do that to each other? It doesn't work out. So great, great book. And and again, I think there's a few different ways that you can think about it and, and kind of change that frame of reference and perspective and get a lot of value from it.
0: Definitely. I um, highly second that recommendation. It's been a while since I read the book. I I feel like I should probably reread that sometime soon. But um, a lot of times people think that negotiation, because that's, that's kind of... You know, obviously, one of the themes in the book, they think that negotiation is something that you do at the end of a sale. You know, once you've kind of presented them with a proposal and then they're nitpicking and and giving, you know, feedback about what they would like to strip out of that proposal. Um, And instead, if you're applying some of these principles of just um, clarity in communication and um, getting on the same page with people and, um, you know, making sure that, that they understand what it is that you're working on and and are connected to it, maybe you don't have to have that difficult negotiation call later on.
1: Exactly right. And I, th- I think back to, I had a super fascinating interview with a guy named Jamal Reimer, who works for Oracle and in the last number of years has closed three different deals, each worth over $50 million. And there's so much about the way that he is building and crafting those solutions that when you do that sort of collaboratively with the client, there kind of isn't negotiation right? Like this Mm -hmm. is what we came up with together. We worked through this. And to your point, it's not something you do at the end. It's something that you work through together through the entire process.
0: That sounds excellent. I haven't listened to that episode, so I will be checking that out. And then we'll include a link to that in the show notes in case any of our listeners want to hear that interview. Um, But you're right. I mean, when you build something with somebody together, it's really hard for them to say, oh, I want to take that piece out because they might've been the one that put it in.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And it's it, it's so much about, you know, it, it being their idea, right? If it, there's so much more of, of an ownership, if we've worked together and you helped me come up with, with this concept, then I own it. It's not something that you've created for me, which is so much more powerful.
0: Definitely. Especially because typically the person that you're working with isn't going to be the sole decision maker. If you're selling something reasonably high about high um, value, even if they're an executive, they're still having to get some, um, internal buy-in on the purchase decision. And so if they feel that sense of ownership, they're going to be the strong internal champion that you need because they are selling their own idea inside their organization. Um, as opposed to just saying, yeah, this is the, this is the proposal I got. I think this is kind (laughs) of what we need. Um, you know, I trust my guy, but I don't know, you know, exactly what this is. Not exactly a strong, compelling case to sign on the dotted line. (laughs) Exactly. All right. So um, here at CFS, as you know, from the last time we talked about this, we talk a lot about sales playbooks, and we are always looking for useful tips that our listeners can share in their own playbooks. So do you have an actionable tip that, um, that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, I, I do. And I, I gave this some thought, and it's probably pretty non-traditional, but I think it's something that you can find a way to systematize, and that is have more conversations, And I I mean that in a few different ways. One of the best articles I have ever read, um, actually, it's probably one of the best pieces of content in any form that I've ever seen uh, around the idea of networking. And I had to look it up to find the date because it's old. Um, There was a 2006 Harvard Business Review article um, called Better Sales Networks. And I I reference this so often. If you go to top1.fm forward slash HBR, it'll take you right there. And what's fascinating about this, article is, is typically when we think about sales and we think about networks, we think of the quote unquote Rolodex, right? Who, who can I open doors and, and get meetings with and, and get engaged in, into opportunities? And they basically argue like, yeah, that's one piece, but there are a bunch of other pieces, especially as you get further into the deal cycle that become more important. And so, for example, one of those elements is the people on your own team, that are going to be supporting this deal. So maybe it's somebody in product, maybe it's a solution consultant, maybe it's somebody in finance or legal. As you get into the the contracting stages, where having that relationship and being able to get things done effectively inside your organization provides mm-hmm. value to the client. Same thing with um, your existing customers, right? Having those relationships and understanding why did they buy? You know, what's what's the real value that we Provide that one is, is going to arm you with stories that you can go tell to, to new clients or future clients, but also having those relationships and being able to have somebody that can serve as a reference or who can give you that type of referral. And, and I'll add to the list, this is a little bit off the, the track of the of the HBR article, but this idea of, you know, finding mentors and finding people who can help you develop in different areas of your professional or even your, your personal life. And so here's how I would systematize mm-hmm. that, right? Define some number of those things, right? Maybe it's, it's once a week, I'm going to have lunch or coffee with somebody else in my organization who works on a different team. Or you know twice a month i'm going to make sure that I have a conversation with an existing client or or you know a, a different role that uh, I typically call on just to understand their day to day and the impact that that our solution has, and maybe twice a month i'm going to reach out to somebody that can be a mentor for me and I, I think we take the the mentor thing i 'm going to go off on a giant tangent here i 'll have to be careful i 'll keep it short we we make it way bigger than it is right to me uh, mm-hmm. i i consider dozens and dozens of people my mentors i don't know that they know i'm their mentors <laughs> or, or they're my mentors right but it's it's really just i know i can learn things from them and every now and then i might make a quick call and and have a question for them or or just be seeking their advice and there's so much value in that and so you know put that put that into a program you know and, and maybe it's just one or or two simple meetings or simple phone calls that you're taking on a week just to broaden those horizons and to broaden that perspective and to build that network and have those resources and those relationships around you that are going to support your sales efforts and your development and growth
0: definitely i just um could not agree with you more on on both of those topics first of all it's, it's funny. I was talking to Scott about this before we started recording, but um, we record episodes obviously not always in order. And there is an episode that will be coming up two weeks after this one, where I talked to Amy K. Hutton, who is a just an excellent um, sales speaker and, and trainer and um, just brilliant, brilliant woman. And our whole conversation was about having more conversations and more profitable, effective, impactful conversations. So um, really thinking about who are you talking to? What are you talking to them about? Are you, are you working on moving things forward? Are you talking to the right people inside and outside your organization so that you can be more effective? Um, critically, critically important. And then I agree. We take the idea of a mentor and think it has to be somebody that you meet with in a very structural formal formalized way you know every every Wednesday we meet at 7 a.m for coffee and we have to have goals that we're working on together but if you have that mindset of being a student of sales or even a student of life you're always looking for people you can learn from and um, I love that idea of really picturing people as your mentors because that's an even stronger thing than to say oh this is somebody I learned from but if you really think about them as a mentor, that's a very powerful relationship that you're kind of creating. And it doesn't have to be something that that is on both sides viewed as, as important as it might be to you. But if you're positioning somebody as a mentor in your mind, you're opening yourself up to more learning.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great, great stuff. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that uh, conversation. I'm subscribed to the podcast, so I'll, I'll have to stay tuned for two weeks after this one.
0: Yes, it'll be episode 173. Um, That's the downside of not recording in order is I get these things. I'm like, I I don't usually try to mention them, but I couldn't help myself here. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, And if I had talked to you before I talked to her, I would have probably mentioned this conversation when I talked to her, but such is life. (laughs) All right, Scott, if you want people to learn more about you and your work, where should they go?
1: Yeah, the easiest thing is to just go to top1.fm. That's the number one, top the number one, .fm. You'll find everything from there. So that'll that'll take you to the Sales Success Stories podcast. It'll take you to the Daily Sales Tips podcast. You can learn about the Sales Success Summit. You can learn our, about our books. And if you want to reach me directly, I, I love hearing from folks that are listening to these conversations, especially if you took something away of value or, or you want to talk about a certain piece, you're welcome to email me at scott at top1.fm.
0: Nice. Well, thank you so much for being here, Scott. Thank you for coming again and being a returning guest on Let's Talk Sales.
1: I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me back. Thank you.
0: Um, And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to today's show. You can find the notes for the show and resources for everything that we've been talking about. We'll include all kinds of links to um, the things that I was talking about with Scott. You can find that at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 169. Tune in next week for a special episode with Mike Weinberg. He just released an excellent book about sales truths that might surprise you, and so um, you should enjoy that. In the meantime, check out this Friday's inspirational episode where Natalia will be sharing a great quote that is sure to inspire you. And as a reminder, if you have any feedback, if you have topics or questions you want us to cover, uh, if you have uh, guest suggestions that you would like to recommend, you can reach us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. If you are enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you are finding your shows. And while you're there, it would be really helpful if you could leave a rating or a review. That'll help more people find the show, and it lets us know where we have room to improve and what you enjoy about the show. Remember to follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ariana Miskel, Laura Marchoff, and me, Elizabeth Redrick. Happy selling!